In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. found no proscenium the voice of everything immersive i'm your host noah nelson and welcome to episode 388 this week we're joined by stephen calcote of butcher bird studios to talk with us about something we don't talk about all that often vr video specifically to talk about buzzfeed's giant-sized food show making it big which he directed which means we are forced to talk about a 35 pound cinnamon roll oh no what a horrible fate. We have a lot of fun and wax philosophical about storytelling in this one. But before we get into that, let's give you a quick update on the state of things with the Next Stage Immersive Summit coming up June 2nd through 4th here in Los Angeles. In the show notes, you'll find a link to the program guide, which lays out the shape of the weekend. And it's where we let slip that our third spotlight session will be on Meow Wolf, who have a lot going on right now between the opening of their fourth location in Grapevine, Texas, and their collab with Mighty Coconut on bringing their world to Walkabout Mini Golf VR. We're also very excited that Sarah Ellis of the Royal Shakespeare Company will be joining us. Sarah was one of our most cherished guests for the 2020 and 2022 versions of this thing, which the you-know-what messed with. Well, we've got her back, and she'll be taking part in multiple sessions over the weekend, including the Arts Institutions and Immersive Salon with Amy Ashton of La Jolla Playhouse, Scarlett Kim of Oregon Shakespeare Festival, and Kamal Sinclair of LA's Music Center. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a great session all by itself. Practically pays for the ticket. Okay, okay, the ticket's a little little more than that, but still. Uh, plus, a first glimpse at who will be leading Friday's workshops. All of that is at the link, and get ready, there's a lot more literally just the process of me typing and and formatting things <laughs> that's all that's holding us back right now i only have two hands and i also make a podcast uh as i'm recording this last night was our crossover meetup with the themed entertainment association's western division at all seasons brewing in mid-city here in la we had over 150 rsvps and from what i can tell everyone came and we had walk-ups it was a real blowout, and with reps from so many companies on both sides of the aisle, a true mixer, a great night. People were texting me afterwards. Uh, uh, if you missed it, I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't miss the next one. Huge thank you to Courtney Day and Brett Jackson of the TEA for doing all the heavy lifting to make this happen, and to all of you who showed up. You know, you know who showed up? The guys from uh, Immersive Everywhere showed up. The guys from London, from Immersive Everywhere, who are opening up the Great Gatsby in New York, they happen to be in LA, they showed up. What's your excuse? Uh, <laughs> come to our LA meetups. Anyway, thanks again to Brett and Courtney. If you're in LA and you're feeling the FOMO, maybe you are, because you just found out that Londoners showed up. Uh, Brett Jackson's Imaginaire Do Wells is this Sunday at 2-Bit Circus. And I'll be there as the guest judge for this meetup slash kooky design challenge. Tickets are just $5 and you can find them in the show notes. 
finally, let's check in on the Patreon this week. Our latest backer is Frank Warren, whose pledge is keeping us on the right side of the 3K a month line that we, we need to keep on the right side of to keep the ship afloat. So uh, if you've been a fence sitter and you're like, well, do they really need the help? I mean, I don't know. Oh, we really need the help. Patreon.com slash no proscenium. Remember, as little as $2 a month at patreon.com slash no proscenium. I'm reading again. Uh, not only powers the podcast and websites for no pro and everything immersive, it also gets you into our member only Discord. If you're already a backer, drop a review on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. No, really, this, this actually helps. And share the articles you find useful on your social media platform of choice. All of those little things, they help immensely. Um, it, it, I know it seems ridiculous, but it really does work. As always, big thanks to our sustaining backers, Samuel Mustry, Chris Woolman, Samantha Davidson, Eric Shamlin, Elaine, Daryl, John Boulette, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentis, Tom Leonetti McGuire, Winthorne, Ryan, David Bassick, Richard Ayers, Lonnie Hanson, Lecker LeCool, the Ministry of Peculiarities, and Jan Budman. Thank you all. Um... <laughs> the major contributors to my rent. Uh, we're also on the lookout for community partners who are up for working special deals out for our backers. Hit me up at Noah at noproscenium.com for details. And with that, let's get into this episode. Director Stephen Calcote is a partner at Butcher Bird Studios and has created all kinds of projects for the likes of Legendary Entertainment, Sony Pictures, Disney, BBC America, and more. But he's here with us today to talk about BuzzFeed's giant-sized food show, Making It Big, which he shot in the 180 VR format and which you can find on MetaQuest TV in that format and on Tasty's YouTube channel in 2D if you don't have a headset. Stephen, thanks for being on the show. A total pleasure. I'm excited to be on your podcast. I've seen over the years, since the beginning, since they announced the existence of the Quest on Kickstarter, since it became a thing at CES and everywhere else, I've seen more than my fair share of 180 VR vid. And more often than not, it falls flat, but not making it big. What's the secret here? Is it that we're dealing with giant gummy bears and other supersized treats? Are you asking for the secret recipe of this cooking show experience? I, th I think I'm asking for the secret recipe of this cooking show experience. I, I'm going to give you an exclusive. I've, I have never <gasps> shared this secret recipe with anybody. I, I'm going to oh tell you God. right now. Here's, here's the key for me, because like you, I was an early adopter of VR. Because like you, I love immersive. And anything that brings the audience more into the experience, I'm all for. So when we were approached by BuzzFeed to capture the Making It Big experience, which is all about taking food that you may or may not be familiar with and making a 30 or 40 or 50 pound version of it, the most important thing to me is as a director is that it, for this new VR version, that it became the closest you could get to being in the kitchen with our amazing host, Tway, without actually jumping on a, on a plane and getting to Los Angeles. So I think that the secret for us was we wanted the VR camera to embody you, the viewer, as if you were Tway's buddy. And Tway, who's an amazing cook, had said, hey, come over to my kitchen today 
then what would you do? You'd probably lean over the counter and you'd get a little closer to her as she showed you the ingredients. And then on the other side of that, we worked with Tway just the same way. We said, imagine that this VR 180 camera is and, and lens is your buddy. And in fact, let's call it the VR buddy. And that's the direction that I gave over the course of the two weeks of filming is I would say, hey, can you lean in and really share this with your VR buddy? And it became this character that we kind of worked with. So I think leaning into that from the beginning, Noah, was really the secret here. I love that you gave Tway the direction that it was her VR buddy. That That's really interesting to me because when we talk on the show a lot about the quality of an immersive experience, we talk about the relationship between the audience, the participant, and the performer. And you you zeroed right in on that. You created a relationship between the host and the viewer. And in fact, off of that, if you were to hear me in pretty much any directing experience, whether we're doing interviews or it's narrative and we're doing to camera, my direction, I probably say it at least once a day to remind everyone, you're not doing this for an audience. You're doing this for a person who has tuned in and they've made you the most important thing in their day for just this little run. So if you can't imagine that you're delivering your performance for that one person, I think that's going to get the intimacy we want. And I find that as a director, I return to that a lot because we're so often broadcasting to an audience on TikTok and Twitch. And if we find ourselves on broadcast TV, we're, we're talking to an audience of thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions. But in fact, what's interesting is you're not you're not really being watched or feeling that that audience. It's really coming down to a single person who's watching. So if we can remember that we're communicating with that one person, then I think that feels better for everybody. So I like to come back to that whenever I can. No, that's there's there's a lot of there's a lot there. I mean, you know, my background and a good number of the people who listen to the show, their background tends to be theater and theatrical, right? And so right. you often find yourself playing to the back of the room or needing to like connect in through the whole crowd. But the approach, the approach I always had and the approach when I would like teach kids, you know, theater was always to, can you find a point in the audience? Can you find, if you're, if you're giving a soliloquy, can you find someone to deliver that to? And, and, and that kind of connection could multiply out, right? You know, like you, you focus your laser, you hit one point, and even though you're not making eye contact with everybody, or even though you're not, uh, you know, trying to project what you're thinking into the whole back of the room, the fact that you're communicating with someone, everyone else starts to put themselves into those shoes, or they start to try and, you know, glean more information out of how you are talking to that person than if you were just making declarations to the room as a room. And it's, it's really funny, you know, watching people maybe not dial in on that uh, in that setting, but it's, it, it, it puts it all into, puts, puts it all into, you know, a, a continuity between theater and film and then VR. Um, you mentioned I, I want to, I want to build on that. I, I want to yeah. add to that. You've hit, what really got me into the entire world of storytelling, which is the idea of a privileged perspective that you could never achieve except through this story. And mm. that's held true. Whether it's tuning into a Shakespeare soliloquy 
and and hearing a character talk about toppling the monarchy in that conversation, you realize you're a part of something that you can never experience anywhere else, or for doing something much, much less, um, less consequential and much more fun, like a cooking show, this idea of most of us will never make a 50 pound gummy bear, but there's this privileged perspective of, we can feel like we could, we can have the experience that we did. And I, I think that's when entertainment um, is 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 most impactful is when we feel like that privileged perspective delivered us somewhere we could have never been otherwise. You made filmed material in a lot of different formats. One, why 180 for this? Because 180, uh, like when 180 first appeared on the scene, it, it even sort of felt like you know, the, the cop-out format in, in VR. And like I noted at the top, this, this is very different. And we got into it with like the, the intimacy element of it, but why did you choose 180 uh, for, for this particular show? I was lucky enough to be asked by Canon um, a year ago to start making really cinematic virtual reality content with their new dual fisheye lens that mm. launched a little over a year ago now. And it's a 180 lens. And I got to, before we before we did the show with making it very big, I got to spend almost a year really addressing this question of why, why would we do 180 when 360 is out there? And I think there's something that we respond to. If you look at this lens, the dual fisheye lens, which has a really long name that only lens nerds would ever know, it's the RF 5.2 millimeter f28l dual fisheye dual fisheye for short if you are familiar with the movie wall e the front of this camera basically look like looks like the front of this lens basically looks like wally's eyes from wally oh my goodness they're two very um big beautiful lenses put right next to each other in a single rectangular format i would go so far as to say noah it's a it's a bit cute or in Japanese terms, kawaii. It's it it has this element of of wonder and fun to it, and so the two lenses are the two eyes. And as a director, wherever I set these two eyes, you're going to get that dual stereoscopic VR experience of where I set you. And I know this is in contrast. You're talking to somebody who built VR rigs for 360 when the GH4s were first hitting the scene and we could do cinematic work and get a true 360. So yeah. you might you might wonder, why on earth would you only take two eyes? Why would you give somebody only the one place to look in VR? And it comes down to this. We've had a hundred years of filmed entertainment where the director and the creators are doing a little bit of the work for you, the audience, of saying, hey, guess what? What you're seeing right now has been curated. Mm. We've really focused on creating a really superlative experience in this area. And we know this actually, if you go back beyond film, of course, to theater, where we have a stage, even if it's theater in the round, it's not truly 360. You're, you're, you're looking down into it, right? Unless we're talking about um, something where you're actually sitting in the middle of the performers. My point here is we're, we're part of actually a long through line of not being given 360 for entertainment, but being given 180 or some narrower view of. 
So my personal theory, not validated through scientific testing, my personal theory as just a storyteller and a filmmaker is that the audience appreciates having a really well curated choice. And if we're going to have any kind of narrative at all, in general, you're providing an area that's more important than another. And in the case of a cooking show, wow, we know what the most important area is. It's that area where our amazing cook toy is. It's where the oven is or the giant vat of 20 gallons of oil that's boiling, receiving the giant egg roll. It's a very particular area. And then there's a very practical side where as a filmmaker, I really embrace it. I know that when VR first came out in the last 20 years of rethinking what it could be, there was this idea of, wow, you can not only see what the camera would normally see, but you can see the crew and you can see the stage and you can see absolutely all the elements working at once. But I think that was a gimmick people got over with pretty quickly because the truth is everyone knows that there's a camera crew and director and experts and everything sitting off in the back. But that's not why they came for this story. That's not why they came into the room. They came into the room to feel like they were there. So for us, given that the cooking experience was 180, given that we wanted to curate that for the audience, given that this particular lens, the dual fisheye, in our case, paired with the Canon R5C, gives a piece of cinematic storytelling that it feels like a piece of film with that kind of color depth and lens quality, all of these working together. Plus we didn't have anything behind us. We didn't have anything behind the viewer that was really quote unquote worth looking at. It was a shoe in for a 180 experience. So that's, that's a combination of both qualitative and quantitative reasons for you. When you're working in 180, do you then wind up having a little bit more pressure to sort of justify the VR part about it? Because in 360, a lot of it becomes about attention management, right? You know, can, you know, either giving the viewer the agency to pick which part of a conversation they're, they're focusing on themselves, they sort of become the director, or spending a lot of time thinking about the physicality of a transition. How do I manage their attention so that they follow from, you know, you know, Lady M over to Mackers back to Banquo. I instantly start thinking about Sleep No More and Immersive Theater because, you know, that's, oh, yeah. that's sort of, it's a for, for me, sure. right. For, I mean, for me, that was, I went to see Sleep No More, everybody on the show, drink. Uh, I went to see Sleep No More, it's running gag, sorry. Uh <laughs> I went, when I was, I was seeing, I saw Sleep No More the same year that I first had an Oculus on my head. The same year yeah. that I was talking with like Dan Fun Dennis about what 360 filmmaking was going to look like. Like I was going up to you know the VRLA meetups at New Deal Studios and and seeing what people were trying to do. And I was standing there in the 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 big central scene, you know that that sort of all the action revolves around and then spins back out. And I was watching as the audience came in following different characters and each of those characters uh, took a, took a beat, took a moment to go pay attention to Lady M. And as you, if you're there long enough, you saw everyone sort of paying homage to her because she was the lady of the house. And then there was a sound shift and a light shift, but most importantly of all, an attention shift of her 
up to the balcony where Mackers came in and you could watch everyone with their masks all shifting their faces and looking up to him as if as if a thousand arrows were pointing towards one person. And all of that was managed in this sort of social dynamic. And I was standing there watching the show and my thought in that moment, I'm not kidding, in that moment was, oh, this is how we do 360 video. This is how we manage it. It's through this this social dynamics of the characters. So you get that affordance in there. But then in 180, right. you know, you start to go like, well, why am I not just watching this flat? And, you know, like I noted, we can we can fire up Tasty right now. We can watch it on YouTube. If someone doesn't have, you know, they can watch it just fine. But you have managed partly through this direction you gave. Uh, and I think, but also I think in how you've set up that space, of, of creating, you know, that feeling, like you were saying, of leaning over the counter and watching everything. Like in some ways it's more of a challenge once you've taken away some of the, some of the affordances of VR and then put it, put more of an attention of, well, what is going on around us? Right. Like you start to zero in on more details. It becomes for me, watching that show was like an act of hyper-focus. Oh, I love that you said hyper-focus. It gives us almost a superpower mm-hmm. of consuming the world at a level of detail we don't normally manage, right? I yeah. want to answer your question about, well, why, why embrace VR at all if you're not going to do 360? And I think it's really important that this is described variously wherever you're reading about it as a 180 VR or a VR 180. I think the VR is an appropriate label here because when you consume this show, when you watch this show, it fills your peripheral vision. It fills top to bottom, and you can still look and see around the room. And it takes over your field so that you're not anywhere else but in that room. And we could have constructed a 360 set, and we could have filmed the plates and everything else you have to do when you do 360, and you do the clean plate and then get rid of all the other cameras and you you can you can basically create a sense of the experience of having been there in 360. And we did think about that. We really, we, we laid it all out. And I realized I actually would prefer that the audience not be looking around behind because I wouldn't do that if I were sitting there with Tway mm. at her house. I wouldn't, I don't want to be, and, and this is the sleep no more example, because I actually don't want the viewers to be looking over their shoulder at this set designed kitchen, let's say, I actually want to cue them. I'm going to, I'm going to have your, your peripheral vision fall off into blackness in the same way that you would in a stage, let's say, so that I want to tell you, well, this Mm -hmm. is the stage, but it just so happens that unlike a flat or a 2d experience, it is going to fill up your vision. So as long as you're looking in this area with a little bit of, of flexibility of looking a little more left and right and up and down than you normally would on 2d, you're going to feel like you're there. I'm going to fill your mm-hmm. world. I'm going to give you a very specific place to look. And then in answer to one of your questions about how do you direct focus within that, it again all goes back to Tway and being what she is great at, being a cook, sharing her craft. So if you look, and this is this is why it's so great to talk about this on an immersive podcast, because these are all theater techniques. We want to direct the audience's eye through the mm-hmm. movement and blocking of our star. Sometimes mm-hmm. that's an actor. Sometimes it's a subject matter expert and an, and an artist like Tway. And as she moves the ingredients around, she's very subtly redirecting your eye on where to most look. So that is still happening in 180 VR, and it's still incredibly important. 
The bigger challenge though, Noah, was not creating a VR experience, which was we found really automatic with the dual fisheye lens. The bigger challenge was how do we bring the fast cut energy of a 2D series, which this has had many seasons before us as a 2D series, how do we bring that into VR? Because the yeah. hallmarks of of making it big are, uh, we timed it. It's an average of two seconds per cut. Highly kinetic camera, punch-ins, yeah. graphics, moving camera, a lot of a lot of of changing perspectives on where you are. I pretty much listed off what any first-time VR maker is told not to do. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you were told not to do any of those things. So we really yeah, it was believed the at the show. time when it first came out that you we'd never see a cut, right? We never see you a know, cut. Like I that was that was the absolute canon belief in what was that, like 2013? Like yes. the cut is yes. dead. It, that was yes. and then the first people you saw trying to cut, they were cutting way too fast. And they're like, Oh yeah, no, the cut is dead. And in time we got to we finally got to the cut. But yeah, there's a whole bunch of tools that are taken away from you. So what we did is we wanted to say, and this is why adaptation is such an art because you're not mm. translating and trying to have a fidelity from word to word. You're taking the spirit of the show and bringing in somewhere else. And I'll tell you, uh, I don't know if I've shared this with anybody else, uh, not publicly, I should say. So I want to give you a second exclusive in addition to the secret recipe. We, I will say optimistically, maybe foolishly thought that we could simultaneously cut the VR and the 2D version of the show. And it would be the mm. same show because we simultaneously shot the show because with a 50 pound gummy bear, for instance, and given that we um, shot the six episodes over 10 days, including all promotional material and additional uh, metaverse material and, and interviews, there was no time to do second takes. Even yeah. if we'd wanted to shoot a completely VR version and a completely 2D, it would have never worked out schedule, budget, and and just takes. Imagine, if you will, all the things you need for, let's say, a 35-pound cinnamon roll and doing that twice all the way through, it'd be madness. So my point is we simultaneously set up. Rolls, but yeah, yeah we'll, we'll come back to cinnamon rolls. Don't you worry. <laughs> we'll um, yeah. uh, you have 2D cameras and the VR camera working simultaneously because the other thing we did is because the quality of this dual fisheye lens is so high, we did a 16 by nine center extract of that for the 2D cut. And we thought, okay, great. We'll do the, the, the 2D cut and then that'll serve as the frame for the 3D cut. And I couldn't have been more wrong because of course, of course, we couldn't get away with the same cutting techniques and the VR wanted to be its own piece. So here's a little secret. The VR and the 2D versions of each episode same content, same filming are unique experiences. And, mm. and here's a, an insight to some of the things that are different. We actually have a lot of cuts in the VR. And what we played with is as long as we were locked in frame, for the most part, we could jump cut Tway through long cooking process. Because though we would film eight or 10 hours for all the requirements and weights and talking of, of making giant talkies, for instance, what the viewers really want is a 10 minute entertainment experience. Right. So in order to get through chopping 20 limes, we would jump cut through a tway through that. And the result was you got the energy of cutting without the disorientation of changing locations. Yep. 
Yep. We also realized that a lot of the let's cut to a close up or let's cut to another angle or let's do a tracking shot as frosting is poured on that you would normally think of in terms of 2D, which you'll see if you go to the 2D version of the cinnamon roll episode, you'll see cuts where we track as the, the frosting is poured on and you, you know want to eat this frosting as it's going on. We brought in an entirely new grammar that the show had not had before of, of graphical animations that would draw the eye pop-up recipe cards that if you wanted to know exactly what was happening for in the egg roll episode the special sauce that tway makes there was a pop-up card that would draw your eye over there and list out the ingredients that you wouldn't get like that in the 2d episode or in the the christmas tree cakes episode um, we did a frame of animated snowing Christmas trees to highlight an area in the VR image. And we tried to do this again and again in each episode of how can we direct the eye using an emotion graphics layer with that same kind of energy that we had in the 2D episode. So the key for us was it's energetic, it's always moving, but let's do that in a way that it's really comfortable inside the VR space. And I think the biggest learning for me was how resilient viewers are for cross dissolves within a scene, jump cuts within a scene, and doing VR animation within live action. And so we were able to do our our adaptation through those techniques. Using the motion graphics that way almost treats it like an AR layer. You know, if if you if you were actually sitting there, right? You know, that's what you'd want the AR to be if you were physically there and were wearing like some good AR glasses and you get yeah. that in the VR. So it also sort of points to what, you know, one possible future or, or the, the, the sort of dreamy, but, but you said something very important a little bit ago. And, and I want to, I want to focus in on that. And that was cinnamon roll. Uh, you, 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 how, how big was that cinnamon roll again? 30, 35 pounds. pounds. You know, Tway isn't just getting her guest involved when they lift it up. You actually need a second person to lift a 35-pound cinnamon roll. I don't know. I can I can I can lift 35 pounds, but but um <laughs> so what I just I need you to give me some detail here about this right. 35 pound cinnamon roll. Because I'm I'm a cinnamon roll guy. Like I'm I'm that person in the airport when there's a Cinnabon who's oh, both who's elated and very sad all at once because he knows it's going to happen and it has to happen. Yep. And, and then, and then it happens and he's happy, but then also sad. So that's, that's me and cinnamon rolls. Here's an occupational hazard of doing a cooking show at the scale of making it big, or as we called it, making it VR big for this season <laughs> is that when you have a 35 pound cinnamon roll, the smell is as if you have trapped a, an entire Cinnabon into the studio with you. Oh God! And I saw people swallowing and their mouths watering all mm -hmm. around me. I'd never had this experience before. And finally, I went to one of the culinary experts who BuzzFeed works with and the Tasty staff, and they're amazing. And I said, okay, I think we have an emergency here. Can we, can we serve up some of the cinnamon roll? None of us can take it anymore. We just can't take it anymore. And for the first time in my life, I stopped the shoot 
for an emergency 15 minute cinnamon roll break. And they brought out the stunt 35 pound, which was only to be used. Um, they had enough left over to where they could make a backup. And they brought this out of the oven, poured, poured the beautiful frosting on it in front of us and cut up this giant cinnamon roll. Every single crew member, Noah, stopped working. Stop working to consume yeah. giant cinnamon roll. And, and I started laughing. Know. I said, oh, that's a 15-minute break, everybody. We'll be back in 15. And I have never seen so many smiles on a crew as when we serve the giant cinnamon roll. So know that none of that went to waste, my friend. That's good. How, how did, did the sugar rush that came on afterwards help or disrupt with the rest of that day's shoot? I will say that everyone was very hyped for the next hour. And then we had to work very hard to avoid the sugar coma. That descended <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I also desperately want a cinnamon roll right now. And apologies yeah. to everyone listening, yep. Yep. particularly maybe I'll put a, maybe I'll put a content warning. Don't, don't be in a mall while you're, while, if you're listening to this episode while walking, it, it could cause. Yeah. It's there's the flashing mo- light warning and then there's the excessive cinnamon bun warning. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Exactly. You know, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, cinnamon roll content. Uh, do you feel like on this shoot, you, you've, you've walked away with something in terms of knowing how to approach this kind of hybrid VR and 2d content making that maybe you didn't before, or, or was this more of validation of the experience you've been having over the past few years? I think as artists, we owe it to ourselves to push the medium whenever we can. I think it's too easy to get into old habits and that if we are to approach our work as an artistic medium, which VR is simply another artistic medium for us, then we want to push it. We want to push those limits every time we get out there to make a production. And for this, the limit that we pushed was how kinetic can we make this? And we tested, we actually went too far and I got the polite from our testers, I got the polite Heisman of, okay, that's a little too much kinetic. So I think that we want to push the medium whenever we can, because also audience expectations change, right? 10 years ago, an AR layer, i.e. Um, the Pokemon Go experience of having the, the, the overlay of creatures that you could, that you could catch, AR overlay, everyone knows about now from Snapchat filters and 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 a hundred other examples. So I don't know if 10 years ago, if we had had as much of that overlay experience with the motion graphics and animations, Tiny Tway, for instance, is an animated character that appears throughout the BR experience. And it's a tiny version of Tway animated and she shows up in the ingredients and she swims in the, the batter. I don't know that that would have made as much sense 10 years ago. Cause I don't know if the audience would have been able to handle that many moving pieces, mm. right? It's, it's the old story of the probably apocryphal, but we can all imagine it being true of that train station in silent yeah. film where everyone moved out of the way of the oncoming train. Um, it's well, and what's, that, and what's interesting that, is about that to me, right. Is like, right. and then, and then like a next, another generation comes along and then like films just, you know, accepted and we kind of just like, Oh yeah, whatever. And like, children don't need to be explained what an iPad is. You had a, you had a child, a normal magazine. They're like, why can't I click on this ad? Right. Right. Um, So part of me wonders if it's like, well, we didn't know how to really do it yet. 
And that's what the real problem is, is that, you know, you try and drop it in and it just looks wrong and everyone goes, like, yeah, oh, and it's awful. And I do. And I do think this is this is a language experience, too, where we can't get the next chapter of the language until we've learned the first chapter or the 10th chapter until we've learned the ninth chapter. And I think that's one thing that was really exciting to answer your question about what did you learn? What did you take away with it? Is that VR is still evolving. Is that since it has become a mass consumption medium, which I think that the Oculus was a big part of that. And now, of course, the MetaQuest. Um, and, you know, who knows what will be coming out with Apple. We've heard a lot of rumors what will be coming out um, soon with their headset. This for me is really exciting, not because of who's making any particular technology. It's that it is an evolving art form. Hmm. And the things that we would have had to do 10 or 20 years ago for VR, we no longer have to do. We, as you pointed out, we can cut now in VR. And I would bet if you were to do a one over one comparison, just to look at what happened 10 or 20 years ago, that the audience acceptance of faster cuts is, is changing just as it did with film and television, right? So yeah. that was all a very long winded way of saying one thing I've taken away with this, uh, taken away from this experience of making it very big is that there's still a lot of room to play. There's still a lot of room to use different techniques. We, we actually train, we actually tried uh, different transitions that I had never seen done in VR of in, in one case where Tway is waiting for ingredients to finish. We actually added a swirling clock animation over the top and did a series of overlapping cross dissolves of her underneath. I didn't know if it was going to work when we first tried it. Mason Ross, who is our lead 3D VR editor on this, said, okay, well, let's give it a try, Stephen. And sure enough, he put it together. We looked at it in headset and we were delighted that it worked. Yeah. I'm not sure that that wouldn't have been too much 20 years ago. So uh, when, when I saw those transitions in the show, like that was that was the other thing that like struck me right off the bat was I was like, oh my God, like this is, these transitions are working. This flow is working. This is how to manage the cuts. This is how to manage sort of all, you know, time and attention. Uh, all of it was working really, really well. And, and yeah, I, you know, I, I can think back to like, you know, looking at some of the early, you know, uh, you know, Christopher Milk stuff, like, mm. uh, you know, I was always, you know, the, the, the one they did for vice where there was like the gal who had been at Ferguson and they went, it was the Eric Garner, um, March, like the, in, in New York. And they were just there and, and, he, and it was, it was a raw piece because of, you know, Verite. So we, we saw the whole rig, but like that sort of raw in the moment, uh, filmmaking, uh, or or some of the other documentaries that that Milk was doing, or or looking at when when was it the Nokia was it the, not the Ovo or I remember the I can't remember Ozo. Nokia had that one. Oh, did you say the name? I, I believe it was the Ozo. The Ozo, that's what it was. The Ozo, yeah, the Ozo. Like going to the going, I went to that to the launch thing for the Ozo, and and starting to see like okay, yeah, I can kind of like see, and there was all this emphasis on like oh, it's going to be all about the live, and and just kind of getting away from, you know, the, the, the language of transitions and the language of cuts because everyone was chasing so much. Uh, but, but this need to, or that's not so much a need, but it's like, why throw out this ability to manipulate time, which is more than anything, more than the ability to manipulate space films about the ability to manipulate time. And yeah. so finding ways to like 
steal that fire back from 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 film back into VR when VR has got this speciality of presence and giving you a sense of you're really there. We have the the forms advanced enough now, but uh, yeah, I'm still not sure if it's like if we would have been ready for it or 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 if it's just a matter of that we had to we had to collectively find the right way to meld those two languages together. I should mention something in that there was another factor, there was another consumption element in this experience that was a first for me. The experience of the show, you can do that through just the MetaQuest headset. You can load that on directly from, um, you can you can go to your Quest menus and pull it in, or you can go to the Meta Horizon world, which is what they're calling Mega Tasty, which is an entire VR world experience where you can go into this world of giant food with a, a, a massive set of edible hills of desserts, the snow version of this world, by the way, it was frosting with cherries on top (laughs) and you can go in and you can learn how to make the recipes for my content, which was the live action content. The way you experience it in world is you go to what they call the burger theater. It's a giant burger. You enter in, you go inside and you look up and it's all the ingredients of a, of a hamburger done in this VR animated experience. And then you walk in and you hear this hubbub in the theater and you walk in and the making it very big live action VR experience is playing on the screen and you can see everyone around you watching it in real time. So you can turn to the person next to you as Tway is feels like is talking to you in the theater and you can talk about the VR experience that you're watching in real time. And for me, that's everything coming together. Is that theater? Partially, is it VR? Partially, is it a screen experience? Partially. And it's also something completely different because now I can talk about what I'm seeing on the screen and challenge it or agree with it or ask, well, what would you do if you made this at home? Oh, I have some ingredients that are just like this. So that was a big delight for me that I'd never had as part of the experience is a coordinated, integrated launch of each Mm -hmm. of these episodes in a group viewing environment. I'm excited to see as community VR continues to advance, what our shared entertainment experiences will look like when we're talking about live action, right? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's a whole nother door. And I wish we had time to like walk through it, but, um, but right now we don't, <laughs> but that's, that's a really good question. And like coming back together and like, yeah, what is, what's, what's the community experience in VR and oh God. Yeah. Stop me before we start. Steven, um, this has been fantastic. I'm, I'm so glad you've mentioned a couple of ways that folks can experience. We've talked about a couple of different ways. Uh, so there's the 2d versions on the tasty YouTube channel it's on MetaQuest TV and also right. the Meta Horizon World for Tasty. Uh, meta t- is that Meta Tasty? Is that- uh, mega Tasty. Mega Tasty. Mega Tasty by Meta, but Mega Tasty, yeah. And there you can go into the VR Burger Theater and experience it with a whole new round of friends and and interactions. Maybe I'll uh, just do that. Give me a good excuse to 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 pop into Horizon Worlds and see what uh, what a burger theater looks like. Yeah. So, uh, team, consider yourself on notice. We've got some uh, giant food videos to watch. <laughs> giant food homework. That's homework I'll do any day of the week. <laughs> All right, Stephen. Thank you so much for being on the show. Everyone, check the show notes to find out how to connect. And uh, you know, I, 
I would not be surprised uh, if you're not back on the show at some point, because this is a great conversation. Anytime, Noah. A true pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Stephen, for being our guest on the show this week. Check out Making It Big on MetaQuest TV or on YouTube if you're a flat person. <laughs> I don't. Okay, I won't do that one again. Okay, there we go. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm still recovering's not the right word. I only had one beer. Um, I'm, uh, but there was so much talking, uh, and, uh, it was almost overwhelming, uh, last night at all seasons brewing. Uh, it was, it, we, I mean, I, just about not everyone was there. Not everyone was there. Like and a couple of people weren't there, but, um, but golly gee willikers, nearly everyone was there last night. Uh, it's been so long since we had, uh, an immersive meetup here in Los Angeles and, uh, to get to do it with the TEA and to sort of, uh, cross the streams as, or just really, really wonderful. And yeah, uh, it was just, just a, just a blast to see everyone. One thing that was particularly fun was folks sort of realizing that they already were connected, um, across lines. At one point I was talking with someone I know from, uh, Thinkwell and I was also talking with someone I know from uh, NVE, and uh, and and I know them uh, from from sort of different different, not entirely different walks. Like bo- both of them because of no pro because of me for me right, um, but I definitely think of one of them as like a theme park person, the other one as like an like one of the immersive kids, and then uh, a couple other people showed up. Actually, it was uh, it was it was Sarah Beale and uh, KJ Nice, uh, who are you know our guests recently on the show, uh, showed up. And uh, Sarah, who who works at uh, Thinkwell, uh, hugged her her colleague, and and KJ uh, hugged our friend from NVE, and I just thought it was it was perfect because you know they just joined our little our little uh, our little group, and uh, already showed that there was already connective tissue before it. Right, we were just sort of more revealing that this is one community more than more than mixing two communities, and there were folks from uh, the Hollywood Fringe showed up and like indie producers and uh, the Ministry of Peculiarities uh, sent a delegation and JFI was there and the Ferryman Collective. Just, I could just keep on naming. Uh, <laughs> meta for you. There you go. Um, yeah, you know, uh, the Speakeasy Society. I'm just going to keep on doing it. Uh, <laughs> if I don't, everyone's going to be like, you forgot me. No. Uh, but there was a lot of, there was a lot of people. Uh, it was good to see everybody. And uh, don't want to, don't want to do it so much that it becomes blase and mundane. Uh, I think that's actually the real secret formula to this is when we do it, you know, once a quarter at most, twice a year, like that's, that's when everyone, you know, turns up and, and shows up and, and feels like, oh, we got to do this more often. Right. Just got to, got to keep things just on the tinge of FOMO. Um, that being said, we are doing another one <laughs> right before the next stage uh, on the Thursday before. This one's going to be um, you know, the, the first tranche of uh, invites will go out to the Summit community. But we will uh, be opening it up to the, the community as a whole here in Los Angeles. Uh, if you're not coming to Summit, uh, it's going to be a two-bit circus on the Thursday night before. There will also be an instance of Imaginaire Do Wells uh, happening. Uh, we're partnering with Brett Jackson on this. Brett's also helping uh, us put together the affinity dinners for this year's Summit. Uh, the affinity dinners are particularly cool. Uh, it's something we did for the first time in Denver. We send groups of about 10 out. Uh, to go get dinner with each other. And uh, when possible, we uh, pepper it with one of the invited guests 
from the uh, from the summit, and uh, people get to talk together. At Denver, we told everybody who the guests were. We're gonna make it a surprise this time, uh, just because that's gonna be a little bit easier on everyone. Like, but I wanted to get dinner with so and so, and it's like, okay. But 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 you're there's 200 of you who want that, so uh, we're we're changing it up this time, um, and uh, hopefully it just means surprise and delight as opposed to disappoint and frustrate. It's a simple rule of design. Um, so there you go. Uh, that's what's going on there, uh, and yeah, just uh, next weekend is without walls. Um, it just, just one thing after another, I'm constantly exhausted. Uh, if I seemed a little bummed out last night, uh, it's cause I am, uh, but, uh, it was really good to see everybody and, uh, we will do it again. Um, we will definitely, definitely that particular one we will do again. All right. Um, I don't have anything deep and philosophical on my mind right now because I haven't had coffee yet this morning and there's a whole bunch of work to do. So let's get into it. The associate producer of this podcast is Parker Sella. Music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society and Solar the Podcast. Special thanks to Siobhan O'Loughlin, who also was there last night, for voicing our intro. This podcast is written, edited, hosted, produced, and mixed by yours truly. I'm Noah Nelson. That, that I actually read it this time. <laughs> I'm Noah Nelson. I'm Noah Nelson. And until next time, I'll see you at the show.